So to help sort of kick off that sort of idea that of looking at a tiny portion, that's actually what we're doing right now is there's at the beginning of Matthew, when we go into it, uh, there's a genealogy and the genealogy begins with Abraham. And so what we're doing is looking at sort of slowly some of those stories in the Old Testament. And, and what we're really just focusing in on is this first story about Abraham in Genesis 12. And we started off with the Tower of Babel because that area of Babylon or that area of Iraq or the Tower of Babel, that plain of Shinar that we talked about there with the Tower of Babel, that, that's actually modern-day Iraq. And that's basically the same thing as Ur of the Chaldeans. And so what we see at the end of that story, at the beginning of chapter 11, is Babylon. And, and from that area, Iraq, from that area of Ur of the Chaldeans, uh, God disperses people out. And so then at the, it gives this huge genealogy, and 10 generations later, it hits the end of the chapter, which is the intro to us for Abraham, is that out of all the people that have spread out throughout the world, there this is about a group that was still there in that area, and that's Abraham. When it says Ur of the Chaldeans, it's saying that's where he came from. So 10 generations after the flood, there's this family that's still there, still settled there, and it's God pulling now that family, the family according to Abraham, out to make something clear, to make the promise of Jesus clear. And that's why we said Paul refers back to this as God was preaching the gospel, because he's pulling them out, and it's, he's pointing them not just to a place, but to a promise. And one of the things that we talked about last week as it closes in the end of the chapter 11 is it says that they started to move from Ur of the Chaldeans and they started to move west down into Palestine or where Israel is today. Uh, the word that they used to, it was the Canaanite land. And they got part way and stopped at this place called Haran. And then this is at this place in Haran after they had been there for, for quite a few years God now speaks to them. And one of the things that we talked about is that people can see that this beginning when God speaks, if God had spoken to him here, then the story would have started in terms of God speaking here, because later it says he appeared. There's, there's this progression of God making things more and more clear. And so what we talked about last week is that when he was here at the beginning in, in Ur of the Chaldeans, and he went partway to Haran, from Haran to the promised land, it's he's going based on this word that God gives him. God speaks to him, so he has some understanding of something, this clarity that he moves on. But from here to here, there's no mention of it, and, and sometimes you can't just infer that there wasn't, but because the story starts here in Haran, people feel like that pretty much infers that Abram didn't have anything in terms of God speaking to him or God appearing to him, that the only thing that he had that could have brought him, because it says he was heading to here, but stopped here, is that from here to here, he was basically going off of uh, people. It's hard to express what it is, but they feel like it's something internal. There was something inside of him that he was responding to. And it was here in Heron that he comes to be confirmed that what it is that he's been responding to internally is actually being spoken by God. In other words, 
It's God. And that's why we, we talked about that in Joshua, it says, God makes it clear. I didn't start leading him here when I spoke to him. I started leading him here back at the beginning when he was just responding to the things that were on his heart. And I made clear then that the things that were on my heart here that started this whole thing, that in a sense, he was just following his heart in the sense, but then it became clear it was actually something that God was doing. And God says in Joshua that when he makes this journey from here to here, his father Terah is with him, and from Haran to Ur, no mention of his father. His father isn't in the journey anymore. And Joshua explains why. He says Terah, who goes part of the way, was worshiping other gods. Now, what does that mean, other gods? When you put the whole thing together, here's what I think he's saying. How this story starts and why this is so important when it says, we're starting with verse 4, when it says, So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. What's being said in this? It's packing this whole concept into something. And what it is, I think, is this. You always hear people, and we ourselves think this way, that I just want to follow my heart. You know, we just think about that. I just have, there's something, we don't know how to describe it. If we start trying to share it with people, it just sounds wacky. It's like if we were to continue reading about Joseph when he shares something to his brothers and his family, they just look at him like he's just, like he's just being prideful over them. It's difficult sometimes to try and share what it is that's on our heart because, as God said here, it will make your name great. In other words, it's about something that's setting us apart. And when we talk about something that we feel is setting us apart, it just sounds like we're being kind of prideful or whacking. It just sounds weird. So it's hard to talk about. But everybody has something. And we know that, that our fulfillment in life, it needs to be connected to this thing that's in our heart. And that's why you hear people saying, without really necessarily, I just want to follow where my heart is. I, I want to be able to have a job. I want to be able to have a career that's going to bring me fulfillment. Or sometimes you hear people say, I want to find like a sense of purpose. It, it, it's all just the, the difficulty of trying to talk about it. But what it is, is maybe let's just go with one of those. I just want to follow my heart. And that might not be the best expression, but it's just a way. And there's lots of ways you can see how that is. I just want to follow my heart. What this story is about and what God's telling us is when we say, I just want to follow my heart, we need to understand that that is not at all opposed to what God has for us. You see, sometimes we think, well, here I kind of feel like here's this stuff that, that there's this God stuff. But what I want to do is I just want to follow my heart. And we see it as these two part of the journey is understanding God's not opposing what it is that's on our heart. God's the one that put it there. God's the one who's planning on making this happening. We're the ones who are opposed to what God has put in our heart. And that's what this idea of them bringing out, them worshiping other gods is, is what it is that we do is, is at the very beginning, if we really want to follow our heart, and we're trying to find that place where we know there's something on our heart that we feel like sets us apart 
from other people that, that's hard to explain. We don't know how do we pursue that? Where do we go? The clarity that we want from that is going to come from the person who put it there to begin with. And if we think we're the ones that put it there, then we will be worshiping what are other gods? It's just worshiping ourselves. In other words, we're going to keep looking for clarity and well, what do I want? Or what are this for? Or what, what will make me happy? And we'll just be wandering around because we don't really have answers to those things. If we want to follow our heart, what the story is telling us is it's going to require us to start listening to what God is saying. And that's a very important thing because oftentimes when people talk about following their heart or we say, I want to follow my heart and we start to express it and it just sounds crazy. And part of the reason why is because we say things like, well, I just want to be famous or I just want to have more money or I just want to be successful or I just want to, you know, make a difference. And we keep talking about it in this way, but we're talking about a way that people look at it and, and, they can tell it's a little bit of foolishness. <laughs> but we won't listen to what anyone has to say. Because every time someone tries to call us out that this is kind of a false God, this is like a lie that we're following because we've got it all wrapped up in this weird thing and people try and bring that out, we just shut them off and just don't want to listen to them. Why? Because we feel like what they're saying is, is that desire in our heart is stupid. And that desire in our heart is not stupid. It's given to us by God. It's holy. It's something that God has put inside of us. And throughout the whole Bible, God's making it clear. Every change, every adjustment that he's looking for is starting here in our heart. And he has put something in there. And part of us coming to understand is that it's coming from God. And the reason why that makes a difference is because we're never going to be able to follow our heart if we start closing our ears and we stop listening. And that's listening to God, listening to everything else, because God's working through a lot of people. Sometimes we feel like in order to follow my heart, I just need to like shut everyone else out because I just need to figure this out on my own. Well, that, if it was coming from us, then yeah, this would all be distraction. But if it's not, then clarity is only going to come from us not shutting out our shutting our ears, but by us opening our ears, listening. And we'll listen to people, not necessarily because we think that someone has something to say, but because God often talks through other people. And so what we're looking for is we're trying to, he's just helping us find some clarity. That if we're trying to hear what God has to say, what we will find is that will give clarity to this calling of our heart. We don't have to close God off in order to follow our heart. That if we really want to follow our heart, we're going to be very open to what it is God has to say, because this is what God's been talking about. And we may think that's not true, but that's only because everybody else around us has got this whole worship of some other odd God going on. <laughs> now, the second thing that makes it difficult when we follow our heart. One is we close our ears to God and we stop listening. But listening gives clarity to this because it's something that God is doing in our life. The other thing comes up and it says, now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 
And this is a continuing nugget that goes through the entire story. Uh, later, God's, he says to God in a conversation, how is this? You've said, uh, I'm going to make you a great nation. Uh, and you, all the families of the earth. How's that going to happen if I don't have any kids? He's like 75 years old and 75. And his wife is about that age too, I guess. I don't know, give or take. I should have looked to see how old she is. I'm assuming that she's about the same. How's this going to happen when we've been together for like 50 years and we haven't had any kids yet? It hasn't happened. If it was going to happen, it seems like it would have happened earlier. It's not necessarily at 75 completely out of the realm of reason. You know, even for us today, I don't know, maybe it is, but whatever the case is, you would think, well, it should have happened already. One of the reasons why it's difficult when we are following our heart is one, we're just listening to the wrong stuff. But if we were to listen to God, we would gain some clarity. But even when we're listening to God, one of the things that creates trouble, and another time, uh, you know, God's talking to Abram, and it actually says, Abram laughed in his heart, saying, how could someone as old as me and as old as Sarah have kids? This is ridiculous. He just laughed, basically laughed at God. In other words, he's listening to what God has to say, but in his heart, what God has to say about this calling, calling in his heart is almost gotten to the point of it's laughable now. Yeah. Part of what's difficult is, is that, and how we know that this is from God, is because what God has put on our heart that's going to set us apart is going to require a miracle. We're just, it's, it's not something that we're set apart because of something that we're able to do that someone else isn't able to do. We're set apart because God is going to do something with us that he's not going to do with someone else. It's, we're set apart because of this calling is unique, because God's made it unique. In other words, following our heart means we need to get good at listening. And that starts with God. We're not going to listen to any, if we can't listen to God, we're not going to listen to anyone else. It also starts with us getting in the frame of mind of receiving. That this isn't going to be about our hard work. This is going to be about whatever it is God decides to do. And let God say what he's decides to do or not. Let's not us sit there and answer that question. You know, a lot of times when we're sick or something, we just think, well, you know, I don't really need to get prayer for it because I kind of already know what I need to do. I've got like kind of this doctor, I've got all these things. And we sort of have this thing where we're just sort of passing. Don't, don't answer for God. Just pray and ask God and let God decide what he's going to do. Let God determine what it is that he's going to do. Following our heart means we need to start listening to what God's telling us because he's put that there. Following our heart, finding that place of fulfillment, finding that thing and living that life with that thing that, that's been in our heart that, that's kind of setting us apart. It, it's receiving what God is giving. 
And that's why Paul talks about this as God's preaching the gospel, because it's about his gift that he's giving to us, which is ultimately salvation from this life, salvation from the fact that this life is going to end in death. But it's more than just salvation. It's about an eternal life that is starting right now. It's about a kingdom of God that is here right now. It's about things that are going to be valuable in heaven that are valuable right now. That calling of our heart is not going to be about things that end when we die. Things that are ridiculous. Things like a tower that's being built. Things like a plaque that's put on something. Our own Wikipedia page or whatever. All that's going to end. Being set apart is not about this. It's about something that God is doing up here that he's giving to us right now. And as he gives it to us, it's always going to be in this framework. He's, why did God wait till Abram was 75? He waited for it to be made clear. And he actually waited till Abram was, I think, a hundred years old to do it. Sometimes you wonder, well, why am I waiting? If I've got this calling on my heart, and if God is telling me, and God's behind it, and God's willing to, to do it, and God's willing to do it, then why is it it hasn't happened? Why am I waiting? The reason why is, is because God is preaching the gospel, and he's waiting for the gospel to become clear, and we're just refusing to believe that we need a miracle. But over time, it becomes more and more obvious that this is, in fact, a miracle, <laughs> that if this that's in our heart that we're feeling is going to happen, it's only going to happen because of a miracle. And the reason why we need it as a miracle, because it needs to survive death. It needs to be something that's long-lasting. It needs to be something that lasts forever. If you enjoy something for a week and then it's gone, what use is that? We need something. What God has given us in our heart is something that's meant to be lasting. It's not something that's just going to happen for a time, and then we're going to retire, and then now we don't have anything. It's, all, it's an eternity thing that's happening here. Now, the last thing. This is actually a, a long part. I'll try and go through it quickly. But it says, Abram took Sarah, this is verse 5, Abram took Sarah, Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons, uh, or actually, the souls they had won in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus, they came to the land of Canaan. If you notice... The story is about Abram, but here it's clear it's not Abram or just Abram because it says all their possessions, which they had accumulated, and they set out, and they came. Who is the they? Who is the their? Who is the group that's being referred to here? It's one. It gives a name, Abram. Two, it gives a name, Sarai. Or Sarah, as her name is changed. 
and three, it gives a lot. If you look at those three things, it's not that we're one or the other, but it gives you some glimpse of some of the things that, that are happening as we pursue what's on our heart. What's happening with Abram? It's the aspect of following our heart. God is letting us know that it's going to include people following us. It, it just is. And I know for me, I know for a lot of people, I really don't even want the, the responsibility of someone following me. It's like early on, it's like, no one's following me. <laughs> you know? But people were. Every calling that we have, the reason why it's setting us apart is because people are going to see that, hear that, believe. There's something that's happening there that people are going to be following us. We need to be responsible for that and take a hold of that and see that that's a part of what it is that's going on. Sarah, you know, we're going to see in the next story, if you think a part of what's going on that they're going to have kids, Sarah's, that's creating a lot of tension. <laughs> that God's saying, look, you guys are supposed to have kids. They're not having kids. Why is this not happening? That tension that's there in our calling, when we start to pursue our calling and we start to faced with the impossibility of it happening, but God's saying, I'm going to make it happen. And we're wondering, well, why is it not happening? We're automatically going to start reflecting like, oh, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe you're the problem. And what's going to happen is, is God has attached people to us because we think this calling is just about me. It's not about me. We need to understand that whatever it is God has put here, it's not about us. Just as with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not about me. It's about the way that that connects me to a relationship with people that is going to be everlasting. And that's what makes it so wonderful. And so as we God connects us with people, the tension, the pressure of this becoming more and more you know, just looking more and more impossible, just looking more and more like this just isn't going to happen. You know, we've kept holding to this. And it just, if you just look at it on face value, this just is not going to happen. That creates this stress that Sarah introduces it, not Abram, but Abram goes along with it. And what she introduces is basically a way to pull herself back out and say, well, maybe I just need to diminish myself. I'm still going to be connected in some sort of way, but I'm going to just sort of remove myself a little bit from there. What she offers is, I've got this handmaiden, have sex with her, and maybe we'll have a baby through her. Now, if you just take the whole dynamics of that out, what she's basically saying is, look, we're in this situation where it doesn't look like it's happening. Maybe I just need to pull back a little bit and, you know, let's just see what God does with you. He's talking to you. So let's pull back. And Abram says, oh, okay, let's see what this... What God says is, no, this isn't going to happen without Sarah. I don't know why you guys are walking down this road, pulling, trying to pull Sarah back. This isn't going to happen without Sarah. She's there by necessity. This is a relationship that you must physically maintain. It has to be there or whatever's on your heart is not going to happen. We keep thinking that what's going to happen in our heart is just dependent on us being. It is not at all dependent on just us. Much of what is on our heart will not happen 
outside of there some relationships that are eternal, that, that there is no way it's going to happen without this being honored. Without, you know, Abram, Sarah, they're both crucial. It can't happen without either one. And some of the people that God puts us into contact with, that is the way it's going to be. And so whatever disagreements, whatever stress there is, just bear with it. Because there's nothing that's going to happen in terms of what God has put on our heart without this person. And the reason why is, isn't because this person is offering something unique, that this person is a... It wasn't just about who can have a baby. (laughs) The reason why it's a necessity is because God has said it is to be a necessity. (laughs) Because God put it on our heart to begin with, and God brought people into our lives. And whether we've got a problem or not, it doesn't matter because this is something that God is doing and God is giving. And so we have no, we just need to bear with and wait. Now, a lot of people just see that, and they only see that one thing, but, and they see Lot as not being connected to that, but Lot is obviously connected to that because they, the end of um, verse 4, it says, so Abram went forth as the Lord spoke to him, and Lot went with him. It doesn't even mention Sarah in that because they're connected, but, but it does, and then it mentions Lot again. Now, the reason why people say Lot's not involved in this is because you see the story that they, Lot and Abram, they have their their shepherds start quarreling. They, they've grown. It's a problem with growth. They've grown to the size that what God has given Lot is so big, and what God has given Abram is so big that now there's too much tension, and so they feel like they just need to separate. And so Lot goes down and dwells in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then, uh, you know, there is this story of God, you know, rescuing Lot several times, but in general, Lot's not a part of the story of Abram. But but that's not true, because the rest of the story of Abram is about Lot. Lot, he goes and rescues Lot when uh, kings come and take all the people away, Lot and all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he goes out with 300 men and rescues them and brings them back. When God goes out to, uh, when judgment starts to fall on Sodom and Gomorrah, Abram intercedes, we already talked about that, and God saves Lot, and he doesn't just save Lot, but Lot says, hey, save this city too. He saves a whole city, and Lot too, and later Lot says, I can't even, I can't live in this city anymore because I'm afraid of these people. (laughs) Why? Because it's just this dynamic, and so he goes and lives in the mountains, and his daughters, no, the descendants of Lot are Moab and Ammon, which continue to be a story. In Anyways, Lot is definitely a part of the they. He continues in the story. His descendants, Moab, his descendants, Ammon, continue in the story. And it's a little bit messed up, their relationship, but it doesn't need to be. But what you see here with Abram is, sure, it's not like, like, for instance, if you take a church, for instance, it's not like everybody needs to go to the same church for their entire life. There are things that God is going to do 
to move one person here and one person there. If you take people in your life, it's not that you have to live in the same hometown and know the same people and never be called anywhere. It's not that. But what it is, is even when there are reasons to separate, even when that is something that God is doing to separate, there's relationships where God is not going to separate it whatsoever. It's there. It's permanent. There's not going to be. And there are times when there, but Abram never closed his, even after that separation, Abram never closed his heart off to Lot. He went and rescued him. He went and rescued him. There's that relationship, that openness of our heart that needs to continue. And so what is this final part? It's just this. Whatever God is doing, we need to open our ears and listen. Whatever God is doing, it's going to be about something he's doing. And we just need to to let go of the tension when we think it's depending on us. And, And the third thing is, that we, there's never a reason to close our heart. Following our heart means keeping our heart open. And even if there's disagreement, even if there's a separation, we're constantly making things more difficult because when we close our heart off to people, when we start building up a hatred, when we start building up a disrespect, when every time that person's name is mentioned, we think about it negatively, just like jars us. And when we start going down that road of closing our heart off, it's not something that can just be isolated to those people. When our heart closes, it closes it just closed. It's closed. And you can't pursue what's on your heart when it's closed. <laughs> it has to be open. <laughs> and that's what the gospel does. It opens our heart. How does the gospel open our heart to all the people that God has put into it, whether we're separate or not? It opens our heart because we realize our relationship with God, what God's given us, hasn't depended on us getting anything, right? What? What's the gospel? It's us realizing I've messed up. I need forgiveness. In order for me to have a relationship with God, I need forgiveness. And that's what was being preached here, how God's preaching the gospel. Because the only way we can keep our heart open is if we realize we need a miracle. If we realize we need God to tell us. If we realize we need forgiveness. Realizing that we need forgiveness, that's the only thing that's going to keep our hearts soft. But when we start thinking, well, we figured out the right way of doing things. We know what we should be doing. We know this is right and this is bad, but this person, that's closing our heart to that person. But it's also just closing our heart to everything that God is doing, including whatever that is that he started in our heart and that journey. Uh, The last part there, I should just make a brief mention when it says that also that came with them, and it's probably who those 300 men were that they're being described early on in this story as souls that translates it here, people, and people's a fine translation, but it's people who 
are defined by, again, that soul, that thing that's inside of us. That thing that's inside of people has been won over to what God is doing. They're starting to see it. And it's saying that the Abraham, they, so that's Abraham, Lot, and Sarah, this, them being together, the they part, have been proclaiming the gospel as God's been proclaiming it to them. And they don't necessarily know enough. Abram doesn't even know enough to believe. He believes a couple chapters later. It says he believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's that moment of salvation that everybody in the New Testament points to. So before that moment of salvation, people were already being one to the Lord. <laughs> because you don't have to know everything about the gospel. But he knew enough for people to start looking for what was happening in their heart, to start looking for that as coming from God. And what you see here is a beautiful picture of God pulling together a family of God, pulling together worshipers of God, pulling together a picture of the church. And what it is is that we've got something on our heart, but it's something God's doing. And he's not just doing it for us, but that thing that's on our heart fits in with a whole group of people. And that fitting in with a whole group of people and the way that those things start working out and, and helping each other and doing things, it creates by working side by side, by pursuing our callings together, it creates these wonderful everlasting relationships and things that we're going to be talking about forever, that God's wonderful thing that God's doing for us right now. But we need to stop thinking about these things of our heart as just being us and not listening to anybody else, not listening to God. We need to stop thinking about it, just stuff that I'm doing that I can do. No, it's about something God is giving. And we need to start thinking in terms of they, what God is doing for us, and how that fits into what God is doing for us as a church. We're going to take communion. And if there's anything that you feel, you know, that, that maybe rises beyond me going sort of blah, blah, blah about stuff. If there's something that you feel like God has put on your heart, then I encourage you to pursue that. And if part of what the Lord has put on your heart is you've never come to that point that Abram is about to come to uh, following Jesus and you'd like to accept Jesus as your Savior and start following him in your life and with us as a church, I'm going to give you a chance right now to accept Jesus as your Savior. And then after that, we're going to take communion. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, for anyone now who's asking Jesus, asking for you to be their Savior, I pray that you would forgive them of their sins and they confess their sins before you as I pray right now. And Lord, I pray that you would give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would show them and bring them into our family as a church. And Lord, right now we want to remember you Remember your gospel. Remember what you've done for us uh, through communion. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
the Lord Jesus, on the same night that he was betrayed, took bread. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't know why I always stop on that, the same night that he betrayed it. Just a, but in the midst of knowing that he was betrayed, he gave thanks. He knew that his heavenly father was in control. He knew that the life that he was going to live was given as a gift. He knew that the life he was going to give what was going to require a miracle, him being raised from the dead. And he knew that the life he was being given, the calling that he had as Jesus, was going to be worked out through us, who God had brought together. And because of that, he took the bread with those that the Lord had put into his life, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken. And in the same way, he took the cup when he had supped and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Eat and drink of it, all of you. Uh, feel free to take a little piece of bread and a sip. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for coming down and living this life with us. We thank you for giving us this new hope of a new life with you that will last for all eternity. Give us clarity on the calling of our heart. Give us clarity on the calling for us as a church. Help us see the miracle that needs to happen in our life. Help us to see the miracle that needs to happen for us as a church. And draw us close together. Bring all those that hear and believe from this word to you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.